Amen. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas to you all. I come bringing you Christmas greetings and, and joy at the opportunity that we have to worship our Lord and Savior this evening. Our gospel lesson tonight is from the second chapter of Luke. Hear these familiar words. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax list. This first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angels stood around them, stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel, praising God. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what's happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what had been told them about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is a feeling around Christmas that I want. Advertisers know that I want it. And that's why they run those commercials that make me boo-hoo. The ones where someone my age sees his mother talking to his baby about the ornaments on the tree that the dad made when he was little. Or the one where the person on duty in the military in a faraway land has a community she doesn't know provide a miraculous Christmas for her family. They're sappy commercials, but we love them. I think we like the glow of incandescent Christmas lights because they capture the haze of that feeling that we want. I had the privilege of growing up in a home that had this glow around Christmas time. Now, we weren't and aren't a perfect family, but there was warmth and glow this time of year. I recognize that not everyone experiences 
this type of glow. That for many people in our world, Christmas is no different than another day living with pain, anxiety, stress, poverty, depression, or addiction. For many, Christmas doesn't have the glow. But what I recognize now is that what I felt and what I cherish especially now is that feeling of safety, inclusion, and embrace. Now, I'm not a gift person. And in any test of love languages or description of them, giving and receiving gifts is very low upon my list. But I was as excited as any kid was to get gifts. But I think the best part of getting gifts is knowing that someone else cares about me. In giving gifts, I feel this safety, inclusion, and embrace. Now, Christmas traditions are another way that we live into the things that we so desperately need or want. It's not actually about baking cookies or watching White Christmas or whatever it is that your family does. It's that when we practice a family tradition that we do every year, we feel a part of this loving embrace. The traditions are fun and nice, but like guys who get together to golf or fish, the traditions are actually about this longing that we all have for safety and inclusion and embrace. Don't tell your husbands that I said that, all right? But, but when they get together to do those things, golf, fish, even smoke cigars, what they're really seeking is safety and inclusion and embrace. That's why we keep these traditions alive. It's why they are so vital to us. We are drawn to the Christmas story, first because of its quaintness. In our mind's eye, the incandescent Christmas lights or the yellow light of candles light the nativity scene. The real exhaustion and pain and scariness of the birthing process is shoved away, and instead the Holy Family is together with barn animals lying about them like faithful golden retrievers. And we don't read the bits about the census too seriously. They're just setting up the time and place, after all. Even though for a Jewish person living under Roman occupation, they meant a lot more than just a setting. Instead, our minds take the peaceful scene all in as silent night hums from the old church in the background. Sleep in heavenly peace. But like a great film that pans all around Bethlehem, showing us the hustle and bustle of the scene, we begin to zoom in on this perfect new family of three. When all of a sudden there's a huge interruption, like an explosion. And the angel of the Lord appears in a whole new scene in an open field to shepherds who were half asleep. You know how you feel when you're suddenly awakened from your sleep? And not by a kid crying out in the middle of the night, for some of us that's old hat, but by a sudden noise or a crash, like when a transformer blows and you're stirred to consciousness at 3.30 a.m., convinced that the world is ending. I imagine that's how the shepherds felt who were doing their job that night. Menial workers doing unskilled work, finally asleep when the brightness of heaven shines around them. And this angel declares a strange message. Don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. 
Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ, the Lord. Heralds would regularly come on behalf of a king during this time 2,000 years ago. The herald would deliver a notice of good news called a gospel about the birth of a new emperor. The angel's message is a little different. For instead of an emperor, a savior, a lord, a Christ is being declared. And not just any savior, but the angel says to the shepherds, your savior. The fact that the news went first to these shepherds is not just a side note. God didn't play eeny, meeny, miny, mo and land on the shepherds to be the first visitors to the Savior. God is saying something about who this good news is for. For if it's for the shepherds, then it is for everyone, especially for the downtrodden, for those who feel left out, for the non-special. The heralds of emperors delivered their gospels to palaces and to halls of power. Rather, this good news gets proclaimed out of the way and in the open field for all to hear and for the marginalized to respond to first. Your Savior, the angel proclaims. If we position ourselves to hear the angel talking to us, we hear this. I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ, the Lord. I think that we can have one of two reactions to this phrase, your Savior. For Savior means one who comes to save. In fact, we don't even find out this baby's name yet in this passage. He is simply your Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. He wasn't named until his circumcision on the eighth day of his life. But his name, we know, is Jesus, which in Hebrew is the name Yeshua. It means the Lord saves. Saving is embedded in Jesus' very name. And if a Savior comes, then it means that we need rescue, that we are somehow in trouble. And this is where we have one of two reactions when we hear this phrase, your Savior. The first reaction that I think some of us have is this. I don't need saving. We could call this the two-year-old response. I can do it myself. The notion that we would need to be saved is offensive to many of us and to our sensibilities. I don't need anyone to rescue me. I am not dependent on anyone else. I am free from such commitments, and I live for myself. I don't need anyone to come and to save me. Israel was looking for a Messiah, a Savior. They were lost as a people at this time. Their land inhabited by foreign powers. And so they were waiting for someone to rise up, possibly lead a revolution, and fulfill the promise of Israel's power and position in the world. Israel was looking for a savior. Are you? Or do we live in a world where life isn't all that bad? We have everything we need. We have every convenience imaginable. We can connect to people all around the world. We can learn about anything just by looking at the device that's in all of our pockets. We feel like we have stability. Do we really need a rescue? Are we looking for a savior? I think that today in the U.S., we're not really always looking for one. At least the majority of us who have the bread we need for today and for a couple extra months in our pantries, 
And I think this is why the Christian faith is exploding in the parts of the world where people don't have basic power and rights. Because when they hear the good news of your Savior, they hear the angels talking to them. The poor, the isolated, the left out, they have an easier time accepting the reality of a Savior. Many of us, on the other hand, do not like being told that we need saving. We are supposed to be the ones saving others, or at least taking care of ourselves in our own business. So we say that we can do it all by ourselves. But if Israel's history throughout the Old Testament teaches us one thing, it is this. Israel cannot ever save itself. They cannot keep the commandments of God. They always turn back to worshiping idols. They needed a savior because they could not remain faithful to the law under their own power. We cannot fix a broken relationship with God either. We can't do it by ourselves. So many people think that being a Christian is really about being a good person. In reality, being a Christian is about recognizing that you're not a good person and that you need a savior. It's an honest and truthful look inside that recognizes selfishness and calls it for what it is, sin. Jesus came to fix this brokenness between us and God and to show us that there is a different way to live. And the only way that we can truly live like him is by his power within us, not by anything we do ourselves. So that's the first reaction to that phrase, your savior. The I can do it by myself, I don't need a savior. The second reaction I think that some people have to that phrase, your savior, is this. I'm not worth saving. I'm not worth saving. This reaction might be the majority reaction. We pastor types like to blame the first one for all of the sinfulness and awfulness in the world. And if we could just fix that and make sure everyone knows they need saving, then it would be better. But that's simply not true. A bunch of you know and have no doubt that you need saving. But you're unable to hear the good news because your ears are covered with headphones that do not allow messages of love and acceptance and forgiveness in. Who would want to save me? Can you imagine how incredibly special and chosen the shepherds felt that night? I don't know anything about the background of those people. I don't know if shepherding was the family business or if it was the only job they could get. But I know that they were poor and that they were kind of a nomadic people. And that for many of them, this might be the first time that they ever felt chosen. So once they got over their fear and awe, they did as they were told. They went and saw the Savior. They told Mary and Joseph what happened, and they praised God and talked about it all the way home. They were special Their Savior had come. Friends, I want you to hear this today. God chose to come in this way. God chose to make God's very self vulnerable. God located God's very self in a baby who will be dependent. What does this tell us about God? I think that God is full of humility and love and empathy John 1, the great text that tells of Jesus coming, says this in the message paraphrase, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. When have you felt special and chosen? 
Isn't that feeling wonderful? There is a safety, inclusion, and embrace that comes when we have that amazing love of chosenness. Maybe you haven't felt special and chosen in a while or ever. And deep down, what we all need, what we are all longing for is to be valued, to be told that we are special just as we are. Friends, God chooses you. That is the message of Christmas. God brings you safety, inclusion, and embrace that is better than any Christmas tradition, that is more perfect than even the best love we can know in this life. Another name for the, for the festival of Christmas is that of the incarnation. This simply means God taking on flesh, enfleshment. The good news of Christmas and the incarnation is that God comes into each one of our messes. You don't have to get life perfect or even on the right track before coming to God. God comes to you first. Friends, Jesus doesn't avoid our pain. Jesus comes straight to our deepest pain and heals it. Jesus doesn't stay away from broken people. Jesus befriends the broken and restores us. This is the good news of Christmas. You can't save yourself, and you are completely worth saving. And Jesus, Jesus is here to bring you that safety, inclusion, and embrace. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you came to enter in to our world. And we pray continually, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Stay with us. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. God, what we know through this gift of Jesus is love beyond measure, is embrace when we don't feel like we are worth embracing, is inclusion and safety when sometimes we don't always feel that. So God, I pray that each one here tonight, that beyond the shadow of a doubt that they would know, that they would know and feel that love. God, if any of us needs to receive that for the first time, I pray that we would open ourselves up to it, that we would tell you that we want to finally receive that love. For Lord, you have created us in your image and love us as we are. Thank you so much for your gift this night and always. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.